0: Alex Mozette and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. So today, first topic, fun topic, and a cool topic. I like these space uh stories. You know, we talked about uh what what Elon is doing with his Starlinks uh on the on maybe a couple episodes ago. And what recently just came out was that NASA's spacecraft here has actually grabbed dirt off of an asteroid this asteroid called uh, Bennu they managed to get this dirt uh actually you know have have the uh have the spacecraft has been orbiting around this asteroid now for a couple years just taking photos uh of the you know of the surface to try and figure out what is the best landing spot and then after a bunch of analysis has been done, they now gave directions in in it takes eighteen minutes to send the directions to the asteroid because the asteroid is so far away so uh the spacecraft autonomously navigated itself to then basically kind of hover down to the surface. Then they have this little nitrogen gas canister that you know blows up the uh The the dirt and the soil kind of like loosens it up on the asteroid, and they have I guess like an arm that goes in and grabs the uh, the soil off of this asteroid, and seems like it was a success. If things went according to plan today, it's called Osiris Rex remains on course to depart Bennu in March of next year, 2021. Collected samples are scheduled to land here on Earth. In a special return capsule in september 2023 it's going to take this thing uh almost two and a half years to just return to earth uh now that it's actually gotten the you know hopefully it successfully was able to get these samples because it's 200 miles away currently that's why it takes 18 minutes to send these communications to the, uh, you know, to the spacecraft about what to do and where to go and all these things. I mean, that's pretty awesome. And, and the whole point is that you get the soil, you can try and, and learn about, uh, you know, how did, how did life originate on earth? Did it, did it come from somewhere else? Was it on an asteroid and then an asteroid hit earth and boom, magic uh, or what happened? Right. So uh, it just, Lots of cool, hap- lots of cool things happening in space these days. This is a multi-year mission, It just so happens that uh, just you know a, a few days after um, the the fun news about what Starlink is doing, we have some more news here about what the NASA team is doing. So, congrats to them, and I I hope all the soil retrieval and all that stuff goes well. A little bit better of a topic than uh, this one, which is around GDP, and so. You no, know, was looking where we're supposed to get Q3 GDP results uh, in the next week or so here. And obviously, the US has had huge fiscal stimulus, not just fiscal stimulus, uh, but the Fed has just been printing money. Uh, I, th- I think they have uh, over a $7 trillion balance sheet at this point. So that's that's called quantitative easing. And basically what that means is The Fed is injecting huge amounts of just, uh, liquidity into, you know, into markets. And that's also, I think a big reason why you see just the stock market in general, um, doing so well. And, um, there has been some, finally, I think some, uh, some additional attention, kind of looking at just how aggressive. Yeah, here it is. The Fed's balance sheet hits new record highs. QE takes a spotlight. Uh, the Fed's outright holdings of U.S. treasuries and mortgage-backed securities is now at $6.56 trillion. Wow. Now, this is on the Fed's balance sheet. The Fed basically has technically an infinite balance sheet. When you rewind the clock and we look at you know what the Fed's balance sheet was you know pre the the 2008 crisis it was um nowhere near 6.5 trillion dollars i'm gonna pull it up here this is their total assets you can see here a spike in 08 08 09 um you know with with uh the crisis 12 years ago and then uh see 2013 2014 and then 20 2015 it started to kind of level it off. Um this is what you call QE or quantitative easing or quantitative tightening. Uh so are they kind of putting more liquidity out there or are they bringing back liquidity? So now we're around 6.5 trillion dollars. You know, if you look now back here pre-2008, they had less than a billion dollars uh on of of assets on their balance sheet. So there's just a monumental rise here in uh in 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 just cash and liquidity that the Fed has been injecting into the system. Um which which certainly directly correlates to to stocks and 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 how the market is doing. There's really no end in sight, at least from what they've been signaling here. This is a good one here. This is another good chart. So you can see that you know 2016, 2017 it, where it leveled off, then it actually started to decrease, tightening so 18 19 they were actually tightening the balance sheet which is a good thing right because essentially if you think about what kind of you know ammunition do they have uh, this this easing is going to help stabilize the market and uh, bring more liquidity um so they're essentially just like for example if if you are increasing uh the interest rates right the what what the the fed says is interest rate uh as they increase that then they have more ammunition in their uh, in their repertoire to use by lowering interest rates when a you know a crisis or in this case a pandemic hits. Now they've gone just full on uh, easing, and we're off this chart entirely at this point. This level of um, stimulus, both from the federal government providing trillions of dollars in aid, uh, we had the you know the PPP program. We've had. Um, you know, uh, um, uh, checks given to, um, uh, people that are unemployed. We've had, you know, a variety of different federal stimulus programs and, uh, the fed and the federal government have actually worked in tandem to put a lot of these programs into place. It's, so it's, uh, it's for another episode. It's very interesting how they've gone about doing it. Anyway, long story short, the us has had unprecedented stimulus, both at the federal government level Um, and at the federal reserve level Uh, certainly i would say well beyond what the eu has done the eu has also been taking activity at the central bank and at the uh, you know the eu has passed um, uh, uh, stimulus at at the eu level but when you look around and you you know you just go and google and you try and say hey you know uh, what happened to the u.s gdp in q2 this is the featured article on google so i clicked into this us gdp q2 2020 it says it did de- it, it decreased 34 percent i'm just saying oh wow that's not good 34 percent that's a pretty big decrease right um then i go and look up what happened to the eu and then boom here's the top article for the eu that their GDP went down 12% or roughly 12%. And they, you know, you say, Well, that doesn't make sense. Why? How is the US going down over 30%? The EU is going down 12%. And basically, uh, that's because if you just go in on Google and you kind of punch this stuff in, it's actually completely misleading and it's actually wrong. I mean, that's not true. There's just different ways these these reports that 30 percent is looking at something completely different than an apples to apples comparison to say, hey, relatively, how have these economies done uh, in Q2? And and then, you know, now we'll see if we can, you know, as as different uh, states and, and countries have slowly started to reopen, you know, what will we see in terms of a, a bounce back? What level of bounce back will we see? Now, this article, much harder to find, actually does a pretty good job of, of doing an apples to apples comparison. And what you see here is that actually uh, the US GDP uh, growth rate in Q2 was, a, was about 9%. So negative 9%, right? So negative growth rate. Okay. 9%, very different than 34%. Compare that to Germany, which was a touch under 10%. Um, and actually China, interestingly enough, here at 10 percent, which, I mean, who knows how to believe that number, but anyway, the reported number is 10 is negative 10 percent. And so basically the EU zone is actually roughly that 12 percent number that I was just showing you. And so and you have the US. at nine. So interesting to see Japan here um, at roughly looks like seven. And Australia, the lowest amongst you know amongst the countries uh, in uh, in this analysis. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what the rebound does. But in terms of that Q2 impact, you know, if you're comparing the U.S. and uh, Europe, Europe actually had about a thirty percent greater decline in their GDP. Uh, growth rate negative growth rate that is as compared to the u.s's decline right u.s at nine eu at 12 um i think some of that has to be attributed to um the just insane level of stimulus and quantitative easing and all these protocols that have been rolled out uh by the central by, by the fed and the by the central government and and the central bank um it just unprecedented the amount of uh, programs they've put into place in short order. So now, the pudding, the proof is always in the pudding. And the pudding will come out in the next couple weeks here when we see, okay, so maybe it slowed a little bit of the decline in Q2, but how much of this is actually helping to accelerate uh, a rebound in Q3? Hopefully that's the result. We'll see what that result is in the coming days and week week or two here so you know you put that all in context a couple episodes on on the show we were talking about um the state of the vc industry startups getting funding and so on and so forth and that first financings have continued to decline overall actual investment into startups has actually stayed very strong uh, but first financings have continued to decline i think you're still seeing a lot of startups that are having a challenging time raise capital and uh, but now you've seen capital go into different industries and uh, benefited from uh, some of some of these new digital behaviors that are coming out of Covid. The last topic here is actually um, kind of the the inverse story where not related to Covid because of what happened with India binding all these Chinese apps, including TikTok. Um, Snapchat just released their earnings uh, recently and is up like 35% in the stock market the reason why is because all the chinese competitors were just banned from india so snapchat's indian users rise 150% as growth stalls in the home market snapchat which once faced a boycott in india has more than doubled its users there in the last year as it has benefited from quote changes in the competitive landscape and a stream of deals with local celebrities media companies and mobile carriers so basically what happened here is Snap's growth turnaround in India also offers a window into the gains TikTok's rivals have achieved since India banned the short, short video app this summer. So basically TikTok got banned. There's other, you know, uh, Chinese social media apps that got banned. There's about 50 of these that got banned in India. And um, they just went whole hog aggressive on what they're, you know, these different tactics using celebrities to, to aggressively expand in India. And, uh, it worked <laughs> um, apparently, they have at least twenty million users in India, and by comparison, Snapchat has ninety million uh, active daily active users in in North America. so I mean, uh not the size of what they have in their home market, the u s and North America, but a very strong up and coming second market for snapchat and you know I think what this echoes is a lot about what we've talked about on the show is that where you see tech monopolies competing um is now less and less in their home territory when you look at u.s and chinese tech monopolies the two the two biggest kind of uh sponsors or or you know uh um brewing places for modern monopolies we've seen huge protectionism in china for for outside tech companies going to china since day one of of uh of of, of china having you know software tech startups and. Um, the u s now is taking a more uh protectionist stance against Chinese tech companies operating in the u s, which I think is appropriate we've talked about prior on the show. but where you really see u s tech i mean where you really see these tech monopolies battling is less in in either home market u s or China, and more so in uh, emerging markets like India and Europe and India is a great example here about how um uh, who fills that void when when one side of the competition, the Chinese side, is, is banned from the market? The US tech monopolies are able to benefit. Now, Snapchat not really truly at monopoly status yet, uh, but certainly a strong multi-billion dollar content platform and communication platform in plat, by the way, um, and certainly benefiting from that. I think you will similarly see other google was also up uh i think on you know on a similar note because what other u.s tech companies u.s tech monopolies are operating in in india google um facebook and uh conversely you know will they see a a uh, an increase in usage and ads and all these kinds of things um because a, a a competitor was wiped out of the market now Google and Facebook, a little bit different positioning in India and versus, you know, other, say, Chinese competitors that are there. Not exactly apples to apples between what's happening here between TikTok and Snapchat, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, and I think we will see this trend continue to play out, um, as we've covered on the show before, where you have the US now actively asserting itself in foreign markets that are friendly to uh, restrict the ability of Chinese tech companies, whether hardware tech, Huawei, or software tech. Uh, we just covered how Ant Financial and uh, Tencent, from a, from a payment platform standpoint, is now seemingly coming under scrutiny, and the U.S. is working on how it can restrict their expansion outside of China. This is the beginning of a new phase, uh, and I think an appropriate phase um, when you think about how strong and dominant these businesses are, and when you have Chinese tech monopolies that are ultimately controlled by the CCP, it's a totalitarian communist government. Do you want those companies spreading their roots and tentacles into other foreign markets? I think the answer would be no, you actually don't want that. Um, not just the U S but those local markets as well, clearly. U.S. didn't tell India to ban TikTok and these forty-nine apps. India did it on their own, and actually, the U.S. then followed uh, with with corrective action on WeChat from from Tencent and uh, and TikTok. So, um, this isn't just the U.S. that's doing this. I think a lot of countries are waking up to the fact that all of this data from these Chinese tech monopolies it just pipes right back into the CCP. And um, in China, these tech these Chinese tech monopolies are used to impart and enforce the ccp's will upon their people and it's very unfortunate Um, and you don't want that same system uh, repeating itself outside of china if it can be prevented this is net net i think a good thing both for u.s tech companies operating abroad and just those local markets and and how those local markets are governed and influenced by foreign tech companies that's it for us thanks for joining us on winter take all i'll talk to you soon